Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. This week, something a little bit different. Uh, something we've not done, I think, on multiple fronts. Never mind some video game tunes, but also an instrumental album. I don't think we've done one of those either. So this this is going to be for uh, make for an interesting week. Chris, my friend, how are you? I'm good. I, I'm. Uh, I've been in touch with my inner nerd this week. Uh, just listening to lots of uh, lots of video game um, related content. Uh, so this is exciting. Uh, I've been look. I've been looking forward to having this discussion with you. And um, yeah, this is this is this is like kind of cool because it, it combines two of my my loves in the world. Uh, you know hard rock slash heavy metal music and, and video games. And uh, there to me, there's so much, uh, some of the best music I've ever heard has come from video games and there's so many great composers and, and what have you. And so it, it's kind of cool to, to kind of take a little break from our usual fare and do something a little bit different. And uh, I think this whole month is going to be a little off the, off the beaten path for the podcast as we, uh, opened with King Diamond and now we continue on with the descendants of Erdrick. Oh, I said it right on the first part. <laughs> <of the night. laughs> and then, and then you'll have to wait and see what we have in, in store the rest of the month. But uh, here we go. Uh, October is always a little bit of a, a weird month because of Halloween. So uh, we're embracing it here. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, for those that are new to the show, consider joining our Patreon. It is one of the best ways you can support the show. The links for the Patreon are at the bottom, and all of our Patreon members um, are eligible to make requests for future albums as we kind of launch ourselves into the end of 2023 and into 2024. So please consider that, and also likes and follows help other people find us as well. So uh, do consider that if you like what you hear. Uh, I like what I heard this week from two different bands, so I feel like I'll segue into a couple of new things that I heard other than uh, Descendants of Erdrich, which I was familiar with. Um, but Eldritch has released their new single, Elegy of Lust, the Italian prog slash power metal band um, that's been around for 25 years or more at this point, but their first single with Alex Geruso on vocals Definitely um, different when you lose the singer after, you know, almost, I mean, God, God it's got to be over 30 years at this point. Um, when Terrence Holler left the band um, kind of out of nowhere very recently. Did you have a chance to listen to this track, Elegy of Lust? What did you think of it? I listened to it a little bit. Um, I didn't get to hear the whole song, but um, very different style vocalist. Um, it's, it's, it's actually, it reminds me a lot, not in content, but in situation, um, of glory hammer. Um, except, except this is a way longer history that Terrence had as, as a vocalist of this band. Um, their first album, I believe came out in the mid nineties, somewhere in the mid nineties around that time. Um, so the reason I make that comparison is just that like the, I, I felt like the vocalist was such a signature sound of each band. And now you have a different singer who I think also is, sings in a different style. I think in both cases, uh, a more smooth, a more uh, polished kind of style, not as, you know, uh, raspy or, or um, and harsh probably isn't the right word, but um, I don't know. It, it's, 
I think you said it best. You said if you go into it and, and listen to it as if it's like a, a new band, it's kind of it's just weird to me. It just doesn't sound like like an Eldritch song. Like to me, like that they were one of those bands where for me the vocalist was the band. Like, you know, I always listen to it and like the hearing Terrence's vocals kinda came first for me, and then like the music came second. Not a lot of bands I feel that way about, but this happens to just be one of them. So I'm going to have to really spend some time with this song. And I guess with the, the album is going to be uh, called inner void. I think it's supposed to be coming out before the end of the year. Um, definitely going to have to spend some time with that and just see if it, it clicks. I will say the new glory hammer with their new singer has not clicked for me yet. Um, and I don't know, sometimes you just kind of lo- get locked in your mind, like what a band's supposed to sound like. And the vocals are kind of a big part of that. And sometimes it's hard. I, I couldn't even imagine being a Halloween fan in the eighties and, and then like switching over to Darius in 94. And like, it must've been so jarring. I mean, I got to hear both around the, at the same time, same with sabotage with John and Zach and even Van Halen. Like, uh, you know, by the time I was aware, I'd heard both dream on or, uh, not dream on uh, right now and dreams, <laughs> but also Panama and jump. So like, it's it's interesting kind of being in the thick of it and, and being there at the time of, of the change. Um, so I guess we'll see. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, what else did you listen to? Well, let me let me just say, I, I, I and I stand by what I said. If you didn't know who the band was, really good song. Just doesn't sound like Eldritch, right? Like they, I think they've changed their style a little bit, but they've done this from time to time. They they went kind of new metal in like the early two uh, thousands and. Uh, you know, they, they've kind of experimented, if you will, with their sound. So I, I like the song a lot. I'm going to listen to the album. Just doesn't, you know, just not Eldritch, right? Like, it's just not what I expected. But all in all, um, I did enjoy the tune. The other band that mention, uh, that has a new single out is uh, Spanish Thrash Band and Jealous Apatrita. And for those that are not familiar with this band, you, you being one of them, I think, these are probably the, this is probably the best modern and i use that term in quotes thrash band on the planet i'm not talking about like your creators and your mega deaths i'm talking about just like more of a modern thrash band uh they had come out with a single about a month ago called cold i love this song i thought it was really really good they came out with a single um about three weeks ago called to whom it may concern music video for that as well also very good and yesterday uh as as of the time of this recording they came out with a, a, uh, a lyric video for Snob, which was the first song that didn't really hit for me. Um, but the album is getting close. It is due out, I believe, on October 20th, if memory serves. Um, and so I will definitely be checking that out. It is called Aftermath. And uh, if you like Modern Thrash, you can do a hell of a lot worse than this band. So I, I, I want to give this a good listen and see if it cracks its way into my top uh, 50 this year. Beautiful. Uh, I look forward to hearing that. I, I, you were right to assume that I was not uh, not familiar with that. Um, I, I want to throw a shout out to uh, our, our friend Rich, uh, who is a uh, member of our Patreon and a friend of, of the of the podcast. And uh, we had made, made a comment that he um, that you had met up with him in New York City uh, last week, and um, he has a band from uh, Australia. Uh, I, I actually looked up how to pronounce this this name correctly because it 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 was 
I knew I was going to butcher it, and I I would have uh, if I had said it the way I thought it was. But I looked it up, and it's pronounced ta- uh, Taliesin, and um, it, they're a uh, they're a prog metal band, at least according to uh, the metal archives. I literally like. 30 minutes ago, just grabbed their, their new album. It's called uh, disciple. It literally comes out, I think tomorrow technically, but um, I guess it is tomorrow in Australia. Huh. So I was able to get it from their uh, Bandcamp page. So um, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Um, I'm promoting it blindly without uh, having listened to it, but you, I think you had heard it. So um, yeah, I, I have heard it. It is very, very good. Um, so go out and uh, support your own brothers. If you listen to the podcast, um, definitely, definitely recommend this new album. It's just been officially released as of today, which is two days ago when you actually hear this, unless you're a Patreon member who obviously gets it early and ad-free. Uh, but yeah, really, really good stuff. I think you're going to enjoy it. I would put it in that accessible prog bucket, which I know um, hits a sweet spot for you. Without a doubt. It is... Uh... It has been added to my Q4 album folder, and uh, will be. I'll be um, checking it out. It's my first uh, my first album of Q4, so very nice. Um, I, I want to mention two other things that aren't particularly new, but um, in line with uh, what we're going to be talking about this week. Um, in my, uh, you know, I don't want to call it research because I didn't really need to do a ton of research on, on this this week, but I just kind of came across some stuff that I found really interesting that, that um, kind of parallels uh, the descendants of Erdrich. Um, there was a, a band, I don't know if they're still in existence, but they're called the uh, year 200 X. And um, they, I had found out that they had uh, done a, a 10 and a half minute um, cover of the, final boss fight from final fantasy six called dancing mad. And, um, the, uh, the guitar player from descendants of Erdrich, who we will, um, we'll be talking about, um, her name is Amanda LaPrey, uh, or LaPree. Um, she does actually some vocals on this because there's actually some like operatic vocals that they had used synthesizers for on the super NES, uh, when this game came out and being that this is like a, a real, you know, instrument, instrumental version of it. It's really, really cool and really well done. It's going to be on my next playlist, uh, volume 20 for 2023. So you can check it out there. But, um, if you want to hear it sooner than that, I, I recommend it. They, it's from an album called, called uh, world of rune. There's also a really cool, uh, legend of Zelda link to the past, um, track on there. So v- very cool stuff. Um, and another thing I discovered was um, a band that the flute player from Descendants of Erdrich, she's no longer in the band, but she is on this album that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, her name is Lauren Leibowitz, but she goes by Lauren the Flute. And uh, <laughs> she does, um, she played the uh, flute uh, with the band called The Returners. Uh, I didn't, again, I don't know if they still exist. This album, oddly enough, came out the same year as the year 200X song that I was um, mentioning earlier. This is also a song from Final Fantasy VI. This is a medley of songs from it. Um, the album's called Immune to Silence. They both came out in 2014. Uh, but um, 
tied into uh, the band that we're speaking of today. I just thought I would throw those out there because I had never heard them uh, before. I discovered them this week just kind of diving into this band, and I really enjoyed those two tracks. So they will be on um, future playlists of mine, Volume 20 and Volume 21, respectively. But like I said, if you want to jump in and uh, listen to them prior to us posting that, I would recommend that you do. Well said. And and it's funny because this is a band, Descendants of Erdrick, that I first heard many years ago. And the second I heard this band, I said, oh boy, this is something you need to hear. So I was happy to bring it to your attention. And um, here we are all these years later getting to talk about them in long form. Uh, I have to assume for the first time. I don't know that this has uh, been ever been done by anyone else before. But honestly, um, this is a band that, like I said, when I first heard it, I just knew you would be uh, into it. And here we are all these years later, and I think you probably like them just as much now as you as ever before. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, without a doubt. Um, what I, if I, I wish I, you know what? I might be able to just uh, look through my iTunes and if I sort by um, the date that I added them to my library, I might be able to figure out what the first thing I had heard. It looks like, uh, it's hard to say because I think I had gone, I think I went onto their Bandcamp page and just bought the three albums that they had available. Uh, this was back in 2014. It seems to be the, the date, the year that I keep bringing up for some reason. Um, and then, um, and then it, later on in, in uh, 2016, there was a uh, they they had done a uh, a Chrono Trigger uh, tribute album that was I think um, I don't know if it was if it was if Re, uh, OC Remix had anything to do with it, but it was called Chronicles of Time, and they did a, a track on that album as well. So I, you know, I pretty much went out of my way to find any and all material by this band just because as soon as i heard it i just loved how they married the hard rock slash heavy metal sound with 
these some of my favorite um you know tracks from from games that i've played over the years and, and i remember i'm almost positive that you were the one who brought them uh to my attention um i will point out that um if you're gonna looking to listen to this album that we are going to talk about uh called thanks a million which came out in 2012 um I would point you to their Bandcamp page. It's descendantsofurdrick.bandcamp.com. Um, and you can actually get the album free of charge uh, because it's no longer in print. So they just, um, you know, let you have it for free, which is pretty cool. But um, it, it's not on Apple or Spotify or anything like that. Um, their most recent album, Advent, which came out in 2014 and is all songs from RPGs and adventure games. So, you know, uh, you have your links to link to the past, Final Fantasy, Dragon Warrior, Act Razor, that kind of stuff. Um, that one is on the stream, the streaming sites, and on, on you know iTunes and stuff like that. But for whatever reason, these first two albums are not, and so you can get those um, from their Bandcamp page. I just didn't want um, people to not be able to listen to it. If it was something they wanted to listen to before they listen to the rest of the episode or after that is where um, you can find it. Cause I don't know how much of this stuff is even on YouTube, to be honest with you. I know they have some cool live uh, videos, but um, I just wanted to throw that out there. And I'll put the links uh, to the band camp below. So if you're looking for that, it, it should be an easy find for you. Just look below. Um, they're out of Austin, Texas. Uh, they classify themselves as a video game music tribute band, but anyone that listens can immediately hear the hard rock and metal influence is on this. Um, in fact, they even describe themselves as a progressive metal band um, doing video game music, and, and that's something I wanted to point out because it's actually something I hear through and through on a lot of these tracks. Um just to kind of walk you through the band, or at least who recorded this album, you had mentioned Amanda Lopri on guitar, uh, Mike Villalobos also on guitar, Chris Taylor on bass, Lauren Leibowitz you mentioned on the flute, and John Pike on drums. Uh, they did their own arrangements, they did their own mixing and mastering and engineering, uh, they did their own cover art, so they really are kind of a one-stop shop when it comes to recording. And unfortunately, as you kind of alluded to their last album came out in 2014. So it has been a while. Uh, I believe that's accurate. And to that end, I, I kind of hope that they come out with something new because this was definitely enjoyable. My question for you is why did you choose this album as opposed to any of the others? More of just a curiosity before we get into it. Yeah, sure. Um, also before, before I answer, I just want to throw out that, um, uh, Mike Villalobos, who um, is no longer in the band, is actually a very successful Twitch streamer uh, under the name Lobos Jr. Um, he, no kidding. Yeah, he does. He does Twitch full time, and um, I know Caleb is a big fan. Uh, that's where I had uh, heard of him uh, initially. So I just uh, wanted to plug that in case you wanted to check out his uh, his Twitch stream. Um, I believe it's just twitch.tv slash Lobos Jr. or Jr. Um, but yeah, so the reason I chose this was, you know, it, it was tough because um, their first album, Downright Heavy, which came out in 2010, has some of, maybe my two favorite um, songs that the band does. Um, the Dream Master's Nightmare, which is a medley of songs from Little Nemo, the Dream Master, and Dave's theme from Maniac Mansion. Um, 
there's also some really cool um there's a Street Fighter medley, a uh, Mega Man um three medley, which is one of my favorite soundtracks. But I think that um Oh, and I mentioned Advent, which is their most recent album from 2014, and that, you know, like I said, is all role-playing and, and, and adventure-type games. I found that Thanks a Million was the most um, varied, had the most, like, different, the most um, mix of, of game genres, and I think it's, it's their most um, complete album, and probably has the most songs that... Um, I really like recognized and really liked uh, on a whole, even though there might be some songs on the other two albums that I like um, more than some of the songs on this album. I just think this is my favorite uh, album of theirs on a, on a whole. And so that's why I chose it, but I definitely had to um, give it some consideration because it wasn't an obvious choice. Good. I think that makes all the sense in the world. I am familiar with all of their material, Although I think I'm familiar with some other cover bands uh, that do the same type of style more. Um, Daniel Tidwell comes to mind and some others uh, just in terms of, you know, the, the genre, the, the video game cover genre. But as I, as I went back to this, I actually forgot how prevalent the flute is on this entire album. It just, for some reason, I just forgot um, how big of a part of the sound it is. And there are some songs, and we'll get into it, where the flute really drives the melody and it's kind of the lead instrument on some of these tracks. It's really fascinating. Um, but like I said, with, with kind of setting the stage, not only are there 12 tracks, but a lot of these tracks are sequels to original games. And I don't know if that was done on purpose, and it's certainly not exclusive. Uh, you know, there are some standalone games here, but you're talking about Zelda 2, Ninja Gaiden 2, Mega Man 2, Sonic 2, Double Dragon 2, on and on and on. It's like more than half the album is the second game in a series, and I found that just very interesting. I don't know that there was any rhyme or reason for that, because then you have other tracks which are either the first in a series or the fourth in a series, but it was just a very kind of interesting discovery when I went back and I looked at the track listing. Yeah. You know, it didn't really even dawn on me, but you're right. Yeah. Half the tracks look like they're the second game in the series. I mean, even if you want to count the last track, it's from final fantasy four, but it was known as originally as final fantasy two in the U S when it was first released. So there's another two for you. Um, but yeah, um, I, don't know if they're. I don't know if that that was done on purpose or it was just a matter of these were the the best choices that they wanted to make as far as games to cover. These are all games with outstanding soundtracks on the whole. Um, the ones that I were was not that familiar with. I actually went out of my way to listen to more of. Um, there were probably just uh, three. There were probably three three tracks on this album that um, I wasn't super familiar with and four, I would say from games that I didn't have never really played. Um, and I think and that's I about the same for me. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if it's the same. I have a feeling it might be, but um, yeah, and we'll, and we'll just kind of go through that as we make our way through the album. We'll talk about our kind of uh, experience or lack thereof for, for each game. And, and um, you know, how we feel about the, the music and, and what have you. Um, but boy, the, the, it couldn't start out any better for me than, than um, with uh, 
the track Retur- Return of Ganon, which comes from Zelda 2, which um, is my personal favorite NES game of all time. Um, and I feel like I was, uh, I feel like I was vindicated in that um, choice because I recently watched a, uh, a video on YouTube. Um, let me just make sure that I give the uh, correct credit where uh, credit is due. Um, this was a video made by Jason Graves. Uh, he also just recently, like last week, released a video, a follow-up video, year, two years later, of his 100 top SNES games of all time. But he had Zelda 2 as his number one uh, NES game of all time, which made me feel so good because I know that there are people that that game wouldn't even be in their top 100 list. It is a love-it-or-hate-it game. But um, I was absolutely fascinated by this game as a kid. And the only reason I say fascinated was because I wasn't good enough to play it until I was like a teenager. It was, it, it was that difficult of a game. Um, I beat Zelda, the first Zelda way before the second one. But um, interesting thing about this game is that the uh, it, it's one of the only uh, early Zelda games, or at least any of the Zelda games from the 90s or 80s, that was not composed by Koji Kondo, who um, is the mastermind behind the original Super Mario Brothers and Legend of Zelda soundtracks. Um, this game was a bit, even in its its creation, was a bit off the beaten path. And um, Akito Nakatsu, uh, Nakatsuka was the... Uh, composer for this game and he had previously done the soundtracks for um, Excite Bike, Ice Climber, Clue Clue Land and, and Devil World which was a, a game that uh, the great Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Legend of Zelda and Super Mario uh, made, that never made it over to the states. It was stayed in Japan mostly because due to some religious iconography which uh, Nintendo of America was very um, careful of leaving out of their uh, their um, their games, but uh, he also um, had a hand in the the Punch Out soundtrack as well, which um, I know that you have very fond memories of. So this is a a um, a cool medley of. I mean, these this Zelda two didn't really have a ton of songs in it. Um, you know, you have the the title screen, the 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 map screen music. Um, battle music, the um, the temple music, and that's pretty much all the, the, the songs that are in Zelda 2. Um, what, what did you think of this um, medley, and, and how familiar were you with the music from this game? So, I had the game as a kid, but I was terrible at it, so I never made it very far. I remember being at your place a few years ago and watching you with my jaw on the ground as you just navigated this game like it was nothing. And I don't think in all these decades I will ever, ever get to that point. So I had heard the soundtrack just by watching you play the game more than anything else because a lot of it I had never gotten up to um, for one reason or another. Um, What I like about what Descendants do is that they take these soundtracks and they basically splice pieces of the soundtrack together into these medleys, which somehow seem to work. And you would think in certain cases it might be a little jarring, and I guess it is, but for the most part, they weave in and out of these songs seamlessly. So kudos to them. 
Zelda 2 is a bit of an outlier of a game, not not just for the reasons you mentioned, but it just plays differently than a lot of the other games. So I guess it's kind of fitting that the soundtrack would be different too. Um, but like a really underrated soundtrack for one of the more simple games. I mean, we're going back to 1987 here. Um, I like how the flute plays like a really nice compliment to the guitars on this. And the drums and the bass have like a really epic feel, which I think is kind of the same way I feel about the game soundtrack, but it's just obviously not as pronounced. Um, a good opening track, not my favorite, but quite good. And, and I was familiar enough that there was a bit of a nostalgia feel here. Awesome. Um, I think the, um, the music from the, the palace, the palace theme, um, I think that that got a lot of, uh, it got a lot more popular through the smash brothers game games, because this was the music that was typically used in the, in the Hyrule stages. And so I think that that kind of shown the spotlight on it. It's arguably one of the best compositions in the game, um, outside of the, I think the, the title music is phenomenal. Um, but yeah, I, this again, like one of my favorite games of all time, um, choosing a song of the week is a damn near Im- impossibility. Uh, I'm not going to choose this, although it might, it could very well be. Um, but yeah, this, this is just a, a really awesome journey through, like you said, all the songs from the game. Um, I think the only other, uh, cover band that I can think of off the top of my head um, is it's really just a guy uh, who goes by the name of Vomitron and he um, as far as I know was a, a member of the the band Armory uh, who was I think from the uh, New England area they were a power metal band I'm pretty sure they are at least on hiatus if not broken up but um, he released three albums of just NES covers and literally whatever game it was um he does every song in the game and and the same way where it all kind of flows together in a really cool way same thing here um it it moves on to uh the second track which is is called hard to beat and it's from ninja gaiden 2 and and for anyone who's played the ninja gaiden games hard to beat is a pretty good way to describe them um I believe you are more familiar with this series of games than I am, so I'm going to give you the floor on this one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had the original game and I loved it. I spent countless hours as a kid playing the original, but I remember wanting this second game and even the third game in the series, but they were so damn expensive that I never actually had them. And now with the benefit of hindsight, I actually have them on it like emulators and stuff like that, but I just never spent enough time with them because when I want to get my fix, I always go back to the first game. So as much of a fan as I am of the original, um, I've never actually played more than maybe five minutes of the second version, which is, you know, almost a, a new experience in a, in, in a sense, just because when I was listening to the soundtrack, I'm like, I really don't have 
an affinity for it or like a nostalgia fact because I just never played this game. Um, but that being said, it's a really cool song. I love how it starts out with just the flute and the bass. They go so well together. And you can see how it's just kind of when the band kicks in, it just kind of builds steam. And it has like this slow build to this big payoff. Um, and it, it was a little startling to me how many leads the flute had on this particular track. But there's these proggy guitar solos that I like. And I like how the song just gets faster and faster. It inspired me to want to go out and play this game now after 35 years of not playing it uh yeah that's a great way to put it um th- there are three nes uh games of the ninja gaiden series all of them are supposedly very difficult um but the music that i've heard i don't know that i've heard much from the third game but the music i've heard from the first two games is excellent yeah really good stuff um this is um no different. Um, this was one of the games that I was just not familiar with. The soundtrack I was not super familiar with, really, outside of this literal track. Um, but I listened to it a bunch more times this week, and I, man, uh, this this sounds like this would be just a fun game, just from a listening uh, standpoint. Maybe it'd be more fun to watch somebody who's good at it play it, much like you did with Zelda Two. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I like this a lot. Um, there's a song, and, and my understanding is that, like, the, this game, the stages are, like, acts. There's, like, act 1-2 or act 3-1 or whatever. And, and so I don't know what's what's what, but the, in the middle of the song, there's this really fast-paced um, clip with the, the flute is just, like, blisteringly fast. I don't think I've ever heard anyone play a flute that quickly before, and... The thing that I think is really cool about the the flute playing, which you had you know mentioned, is that you know we talk a lot about bands that um, have prominent keyboards and how you know the keyboard almost can be a lead instrument and take away like and kind of take the place of the guitar, where the guitar will be more of a rhythm situation. I feel like the flute for this band is kind of like their version of the keyboard where it's just as important to the proceedings as the the lead guitar. And I think that's really cool because how often do you hear that in any sort of rock or, or metal type music where this the, might be the only place. I mean, if I'm being honest, I don't know that I've heard it anywhere else. Yeah. We'd have to talk to Carl Cat and James and see how he feels about <laughs> that as, <laughs> as one of the few. I also believe, um, Sarah from Mind Maze has uh, played the flute um, uh, on on stage with the band as well. But I mean, but you're this talking is... about isolated tracks. You're not yeah, talking exactly. about an this entire is, album. Yeah, this is just this. It's part of the heart and soul of the band, and I definitely recommend checking out some of their live videos so you could see um, just how kick ass Lauren is uh, playing the the flute with this this band. It's it's really cool and just a very um, it was off-putting to me when I first heard this band because I'd never heard anything like it before. And now it's like, it makes so much sense to me. It's so, it's so cool. And so um, I'm not going to harp too much on that because it's pretty much like that all the way through this album. But um, I just think that, uh, I don't know, this, this track is really, really cool. And probably my favorite of the ones that I wasn't that super familiar, familiar with going into it. um, Just, it sounds like this game has a really killer soundtrack just based on this this uh this medley and and 
So obviously this was a game we both hadn't played. If I'm being honest, the next track is from a game I had never heard of. And, and this track is called To the Underground Concourse. The game is called Journey to Silius. It came out in 1990 uh, on Nintendo. Um, I had never heard of this game, as I said, and apparently it was based off the early Terminator film in 1984. That was brand new to me. I had no idea what to expect from this song because I just, again, I was just so not familiar with it. Um, but what's interesting is that when the song finally gets going, it almost, some of the riffs had like a Metallica black metal, uh, sorry, black album vibe to it, like a, like Metallica circa 1991. It was really interesting. Um, so think of like something you'd hear on the Black Album just with flute behind it. It was really cool. Um, and, and what's interesting is having never heard any of the soundtrack, I can almost hear the soundtrack as I listen to the song. So I feel like if I was to go back and play the game, I would almost know what those, you know, primitives, you know, 8-bit sounds would actually sound like, even though I've never played it. Um, it's a little bit dry, although I have to say the last minute – minute and a half or so is just complete chaos but in a beautiful way so it does pick up nicely uh but the the highlight to me are the drum fills the drums on this track are just absolutely outstanding and i'm wondering if you a share the thoughts and b have you ever heard of this game prior to uh this week you know only thanks to nintendo power which was a magazine that um i used to get as a kid i remember just that's I remember hearing of it. I, I knew nothing of it. I never even to, to now I don't know anything about it. But um, the aforementioned Vomitron uh, also covered uh, the songs from this game. So I, I did I did a little digging, and, and it turns out that this is a very um, well received soundtrack from the NES days. Uh, the composer is uh, Naoki Kodaka, and he was known for making. The, the or composing soundtracks for games uh, made by Sunsoft, and so you know he had done um, Spy Hunter and Freedom Force and Blaster Master, which a lot of people probably remember. Uh, Platoon, which was a game I remember uh, Mike had. Um, Fester's Quest, Batman the video game. So you know these were all the games that he had worked on um, prior to. Um, Journey to Silius. Then years later, he would uh, do work on the Albert Odyssey series, which I believe was a. Um, I guess it started out as a SNES uh, series and made its way to the Saturn. Um, so it's funny. I, I went, I went into YouTube and went and listened to the actual eight-bit soundtrack to this game because I was curious. You know, how often do you hear like a a cover version of a, of a game soundtrack and then go back and listen to the actual game soundtrack second. Um, right, 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 right. So it, it, some of the comments are amazing. Um, this is single-handedly the best NES song I've ever heard. And this game has other Epic music as well. Sunsoft made the best music. Huh. Uh, someone, someone else said one of the most underrated soundtracks of the entire system. Uh, personally, with this game's backstory, the gameplay, graphics, and sound, it's one of the greatest ge- gems on the NES and is worth every second you play it. Um, so, like a lot of uh, a lot of high praise for this game and, and its soundtrack. I'm super curious about it now, um, and I thought the band did a really um, 
a really great job with it. A, a fun comment uh, someone made uh, regarding the title theme was whoever composed this clearly didn't know this was going to be used as a title theme because it's just huh. so, it's such an epic uh, song. Um, you know, like they were like, why, you know, most games would just be like a 30 second song that would just repeat and that they just like went ape. Um, Probably thought cool. it was going to be used for something else in the game, and then they just kind of plucked it and put it up front. Yeah, I, I kind of want to watch like a um, somebody do a playthrough of this game to see what it's all about, and and you know, now we, we'd probably be pretty familiar with the the music from it. But uh, th- this is this is cool. Um, it's kind of hard to like talk about these tracks in a general sense because, like you mentioned, there's like you know four to six songs that are being medleyed medleyed yeah, that's a new word put on a shirt um for each track um yeah and, and that's why i'm not even really going i'm not kind of walking through each one because it's just it's too arduous a task i mean like mega man 2 right like the next game we're going to talk about the game came out in 1988 which i can't believe it was that many years ago but i say that to say that each character in this game had a different song to it so every single Time. I mean, you're you're talking literally about an entire soundtrack condensed into you know five plus minutes here. Um, this track clocking in is just over six. Uh, the track is called "Get Equipped with Metal," and Metal Man is actually, I think, one of the the guys in the game. And I've beaten this game. This is one of the few games that I've actually beaten. Um, and I think I did it during COVID, if I'm not mistaken. I went back and I played it, so I was very familiar with the music in this one. Really, really good soundtrack. And one of those early games where you were just like, wow, like the music just lends itself so well to some of these goofy characters that were, um, you know, kind of in the game. I would argue this is probably my favorite song thus far. And I think the reason is just because it had that real metal vibe to it. So it was kind of in my wheelhouse. Um, but just great guitar work and the solos and the riffs are just awesome. So again, favorite track thus far and uh, was, was in contention for song of the week for a bit too. I uh, can't, can't blame you. Um, for me, Mega Man two and Mega Man three are, are two of the very best NES. Uh, you know what? scratch that two of the best video game soundtracks that i've ever heard um the only complaint i have about this is that they don't play all of the songs from the game i mean there's only so much time um they do I have hit, that gripe later believe me we'll get there yeah they hit they hit some of the some of the you know some of the really good ones but i mean there are eight individual stages in this game and each one has its own theme song um plus when you get up to the Dr. Wily stages, there's uh, at least two or three more uh, theme songs there as well. But um, it, it it starts with the the title screen, and man, when that thing kicks off, that that guitar solo, somebody the the, the guy who wrote this soundtrack to uh, Takashi Tateishi, and he went by the alias Ogaretsu Kun. He Obviously, I don't know, had some sort of like affinity for rock or metal music because when this stuff is translated into, you know, real live instruments um, and not, you know, an 8-bit synthesizer, you can tell that like this is definitely the most metal song on the album up to this point. Um, the, 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 The music from the Dr. Wily stage, which, which comes in, at around the three forty-five to four minute mark, 
was one of the most iconic um, songs in, 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 you know, the NES soundtrack era. Um, if, 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 if somebody was going to like, just listen to one song from this album to get a taste for what it is we're talking about, this might be the one I would uh, point to really cool. It, it, it does, it goes through a couple of the stages and then ends, ends with the, um, the Mega Man two, like ending theme, just a really awesome, uh, medley, um, all together. And they do a really cool Mega Man three medley on the previous album, which I would, uh, also recommend just as highly. Nice. Um, and then we get into the first Sega game on the card, on the, on the disc. And, uh, it comes from Sonic two. It's called the fastest thing alive. Um, aptly named as well. Any thoughts on this? I know you aren't a Sega guy, but I have to assume that at some point you played Sonic 2. Yeah, you know, I definitely was not a Sega guy, but can I tell you, man, uh, the, the soundtracks to Sonic and Sonic 2 are two of my all-time favorite uh, game soundtracks. Um, I listen to them fairly regularly. That's how much I like them. Uh, the composer was Masato Nakamura, uh, who did the um, soundtracks to both the first and the second game. Um kind of a, a an urban legend is that Michael Jackson had a hand in the soundtrack for Sonic 3 uh but you know was told basically told not to get not to give him credit for it i don't know if it would have been a conflict of interest with the record label or what um i think it kind of came out after his death that that was that urban legend was in fact true um, which is really interesting, but that was just happened to be of the three mainline Sonic games, the one that I never really played. So I don't know the music well at all. Um, but man, the soundtracks to the first two games are phenomenal. And I think the soundtrack to Sonic 2 is even better um, than the soundtrack to Sonic 1. And that's saying something because the soundtrack to Sonic 1 is outstanding. Uh, they choose some really good tracks. Um, from this uh, from this game, um, I'm trying to remember some of the names of the stages, um, but they, uh, you know, unfortunately can't can't hit them all. Um, Casino Night Zone was one of my favorite ones that they didn't hit, unfortunately. Um, but there's a cool uh, rendition of the the boss battle music towards the end of the um, Towards the end of the the song, but um, I love that first track from uh, like literally that first um, that first zone that you start the game on. I'm, I'm forgetting if it was Spring Hill Zone or if that was from Sonic One. Um, I one, don't you know, remember. You know, it's funny. I never owned these games, but because I had friends that had them, I did play them from time to time. So I don't remember the levels, but I am familiar enough that I I, I just. I, the name escapes me, but I, I remember the songs themselves. And you're right; both of these games had such good soundtracks. Um, but I love this particular rendition of it, and I thought that the way they, the band, arranged these songs from this game was just nothing short of, of fantastic. Because it was tons of melody, so upbeat, and they were the musicality is just great. Uh, and I like the guitar and the bass just driving this thing along with the flute kind of as an accompaniment. Um, and then about midway through, there's this guitar solo that just kind of sounds like a circus. And it reminds me of when Jordan Rudis does that thing on the keyboards where he just kind of goes off and does that like circus noodling. It really was like, 
I hate when Jordan Rudis does it, but it really hit the spot here. So kudos to Descendants of Erdrich. Um, I actually enjoyed this one so much that I'm going to make it my song of the week. I had another one that I was thinking about, but I also think there's a possibility that you might choose it. So I'm going to, I'm just going to jump in here. Uh, let's, let's play a little bit from the fastest thing alive and we'll, we'll come back and give our final thoughts before we move on. Uh, I don't, we're going to have to figure out, uh, which minute of the song to choose because there's like th- at least three, like, very distinct parts of the song. So I'll let you make the call on that, but uh, let's give it a, a listen and uh, we'll come back. Anyway, uh, just one of my favorite um, medleys, if you will, on this album. Uh, Obviously, you liked it as well. What's kind of weird to me is that they go from Sonic 2, this really upbeat, melodic, fast songs, and then they go to Metroid, which is one of like the slowest plotting in certain ways soundtracks. Uh, the Secret of Planet Zebes is the name of this particular track. It's an all-time classic game. I have played some of it. I've never played the entire thing. I find it to be frustratingly difficult, even as a <laughs> middle-aged man. But like, what I liked about the cover is that it's slower, almost doomy. Like, I almost got like a candle mass vibe. But meets outer space, which is kind of cool. Um, but it's a bit of an odd arrangement for for my ears. I think that when you mix the fl- the flutes and the guitars and the bass, and they seem like they're going in three different directions at the same time, I had a little bit of a jarring experience with this one. I do think it gets better as it moves along, and I think it's one of the progier tracks that they do. Um, but the second half is really where I kind of was able to sink my teeth into this a little bit more because it's a little bit mid-paced, kind of has like a space rock vibe to it. And and I think the main theme to the game is great, but I, I just wasn't 100% sold on this arrangement. It took me like years to get into the Metroid soundtrack outside of the Brinstar theme, which is that really upbeat and, and pretty much the only upbeat uh, song in this game because everything else is really kind of dark and dreary like you said um this soundtrack was originally written by the the great hirokazu uh, otherwise known as hip hip tanaka um he was like a like a uh like a, a hired gun that nintendo had in their back pocket um he did the music for wild gunman duck hunt hogan's alley balloon fight wrecking crew gyromite Gumshoe, Met- and Metroid, this this game, uh, Kid Icarus. He would do the soundtracks for Super Mario Land uh, for the Game Boy, um, Doctor Mario, 
um, just he just was like th- this guy that they would go to. Um, he is a uh, a legend in the in the gaming uh, music world. Um, this is a really, I think, ahead of its time soundtrack. Uh, this is a game that I've actually beaten before, but I agree with you. It's it's frustratingly difficult. The it laid the groundwork for one of the greatest games ever made, Super Metroid, for the Super NES, and would eventually become the the beginning of creating its own genre of games, where it would um, it would go on to uh, inspire Castlevania to change their whole uh, just their whole like how they built a game um, because with Symphony of the Night, which came out in 1997 for the PlayStation they took the elements of the the you know um the map building that super metroid had perfected and they they mixed that into a castlevania world where you need to find a certain item in order to um you know to open up more of the map screen and that became what was known as the the metroidvania uh, genre um but anyway um the the intro to Metroid is like this, you know, dark and kind of creepy outer spacey kind of song. The game starts out though with this the the Brinstar theme, which is just I think one of the catchiest tunes in in game music. Um, it's it's like all it's upbeat and it's kind of cool because you're starting out this adventure, um, you know, like oh well, it's an adventure, you know, let's let's go, you huh. know, kind of like road trip, you know, and then as you get deeper into this planet um the music just gets darker and creepier and it, it it's 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 kind of cool the way that they do that and and this um this medley kind of kind of takes you on that journey in my opinion um i don't remember the name of the stage that's that that's pretty much the second half of this medley i can't remember if it was uh norfair or um I don't remember the name of the stage. I think there's four major areas in this game, but they, they did the theme song for two of them. Plus the intro. Uh, it's not my favorite um, track on the album, but um, I really did like learn to appreciate the darker and weirder tracks from this game. Um, probably just from uh, playing it over the years, but this was one of those games I, I didn't have growing up. I played it, later on as a teenager and as a as an adult and um i remember the last time i played it i got up to mother brain and i just couldn't couldn't beat her and i just <laughs> gave up and that was that was the last time i played metroid yeah, listen i i i i completely understand that it's just frustratingly hard um but a classic in every sense of the word and um the next track, Metavian Medley, is from Fantasy Star 4. It's the second and last Sega game, Sega Genesis game, um, that they cover on this album. Another classic and widely regarded as one of the best RPGs of all time. And I got to be honest, after listening to the soundtrack, I've never played this game, but I, I, I'm not just going to play it. I think it's probably going to be the next game I play whenever that is. Really interesting vibe for two reasons. Number one, at first, it kind of starts with that spacey Metroid feel, but it really does go into like other directions. And what's crazy is there are parts of this soundtrack that just remind me so much of Arion's Into the Electric Castle, not just because of the flute, but just because of the 
the great bass lines and some of the way that the guitars are, are, are structured, I heard like this wonderful Arion album that came out, you know, in, in, I guess it was 97 or 98. Um, that alone was enough to sell me on this game because I just want to hear the soundtrack and see if it too bears a similar resemblance to the descendants of Erdrich Medley playing the game, if that makes sense. Um, again, I have to assume this was one of the other ones you haven't heard yet. Oh, definitely. I, I didn't know. I really don't know anything about Fantasy Star. I've heard of it because it's, um, it was pretty much Sega's answer to Final Fantasy. Um, this and the uh, Shining Force series, I believe, were the two big RPG series on the Sega um, consoles. Um, but, you know, one of the things you'll notice, I think, on this album, there's, um, uh, I think, five, let's say, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, I guess five tracks from 16-bit systems uh the the super nes or the sega genesis and you can just tell that that there um there's just more going on because i think that the compose the game composers were had more freedom because they had more channels that they could um work with and I, I, the nes i believe only had four channels of sound i believe so you literally had like a bass line a percussion line and then two lines for your melody and that was it um really primitive stuff and the 16-bit consoles i think open things up so i think that you can hear that there's more going on when the, the when a band like this is is doing their um kind of take on it um but yeah the songs i heard on this medley make me very interested in um checking out the game really good stuff um uh especially there's a a song towards the very end, the last like minute and a half that um, was really like upbeat. The flute is, you know, ever, ever so uh, prominent here, but um, this is really cool. I'm very fascinated. This would probably be along with journey to Silius. Like, I I don't think I knew anything from either of these games. So this was a bit of a, an eye opener for me, but very cool, very cool track. And uh, I like this a lot. And, it's uh, too bad you're not a streamer because I would totally watch you play this game. Well, maybe we'll have to fix that. But uh, unfortunately, I'd be going at such a snail's pace that I don't think you'd enjoy it just because I don't have that much time to play. Um, but I, I did enjoy the soundtrack. I will play it eventually for sure. And like I said, I'll, I'll put it in my queue next. Um, what was really kind of interesting to me about this album is that it finishes with five classic classic games the first of which is double dragon 2 the song is called force of the dragon um here's another example of me owning the original and just never owning the second one although again i had friends that had it so i did get to play this game as well um i am a big fan of this type of fighting game i love games like final fight and stuff like this and this was really a precursor this and golden axe i think were the two big precursors um to the you know to final fight Great music. I almost forgot how good the soundtrack was. One of the more underrated soundtracks, I think, on Nintendo. And what I love is not only is it upbeat, but it has that really 80s vibe, almost like a movie where you just kind of want to scuffle, right? You just want to kind of get into it. Um, The only – there's like this little bridge section. I don't know what board it is from the game. It was a little – mundane to me but the rest of the track is so good lots of flute leads but also um lots of guitar noodles that just 
seem to lend itself well. Um, overall, a fan of this one and another game that I really should go back to because I do love the original. Yeah, I I played um, this in the original probably pretty evenly over the years. Um, it, over time, I, I've actually grown to like the second Double Dragon more than the first one. Um, a lot having to do with how much I absolutely love the soundtrack. It is one of my favorite soundtracks. Um, I'm actually going to make this one my song of the week, and I don't even know where I'm going to begin to choose a minute of this. Um, there are so many good parts. Um, but yeah, I am a big fan of the soundtrack. Um, Kazunaka Yamane is the composer, and it's funny because um, it says that most of the music he wrote was used in beat-em-ups, and he highly favored the electric guitar. And I think it's it's pretty clear here that this music was, you know, meant to uh, to fit, uh, you know, a, an electric guitar kind of vibe. And and I think that the the descendants of Erdrich taking it and kind of almost like returning it to where it probably sounded like in this guy's head when he yeah. first composed it. It's kind of an interesting um, interesting point of view but uh let's give this one a uh, a listen and then uh, we'll come back and uh talk some more Good choice. I, I'm not sure if it was the one I would have necessarily picked for you if I had to guess, but I can certainly see why it's probably in the top half for me, if not the top third of songs on this on this album. I, I, you know, it's funny. I posted something a while back, and I can't remember if it was on the Metal Exchanges group. It might have been, but um, it, you know, it was. The fact that the the level two of this game, the rooftop board, that the the song had this weird, it sounded like Easy Lover by Phil Collins and Philip huh. Bailey, and and so you know, trying to see if I'm not the only you know lunatic, I, I googled it, and sure enough, somebody else must have thought that because they they did a uh, what do you call a mashup of the two on YouTube, so <laughs> it wasn't just me, um, but. Uh, of my favorite songs from this game, I think they used all of them. Um, well, maybe that's why then. That that makes sense. Yeah, uh, especially the um, the 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 fight with the shadow boss that, that's at the very end of the game. Um, wow, what an underrated NES track! Um, it, it it pretty much is the end of the song. Uh, but if uh, I don't know, I might have to. Um, that might be the minute that I choose to play because I think that just 
is such an awesome, uh, an awesome song. And so, yeah, this, this is really good. I, I was, I think between this and F zero, we're going to be my choices for song of the week, but man, any of these last five tracks really could have been it. Like just, they really finished strong on this one. Yeah. And, and, you know, they picked great games, but they picked some interesting, um, well, let's just say they made some interesting choices, right? Because now we get to Castlevania 2. Uh, love the title. What a horrible night to have a curse. And if you've ever played the game, it makes perfect sense. This is another game that I had as a kid, and I just found it impossible. But I would play it over and over as a kid just because I thought the music was so good that even though I didn't know what I was doing, I just it just drew me back in. And this was one of the first soundtracks I really fell in love with. Um, I would argue that this franchise has some of the best music of any game games ever and castlevania 2 is no different but what i found interesting is that arguably the best song in the game was not used in this medley and that's bloody tears they play a little bit of the guitar solo from it but it's just not a driving force in this particular medley and i listened to it a bunch and i just could not hear them play this section of 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 the soundtrack which i was shocked by because i would argue it's one of the best pieces of music in any game ever made and it's short it's only about 40 seconds in the actual game but for whatever reason they just don't touch it here in light of that criticism the soundtrack is so good that there was enough stuff that it didn't matter um this is a great composition some fantastic bass lines really really proggy time signatures you just tap along to the whole thing and even though the game is just impossible, the soundtrack is so good that you just want to play it. I would point you to What a Horrible Night to Have a Curse, part one, from the Downright Heavy album. Um, and you might find what you're looking for on that track. Um, I believe that th- this one, uh, What a Horrible Night to Have a Curse, part two, I want to say is from Castlevania 2. Um, Correct. Correct. And the medley on the first album is from Castlevania 1, so um, I believe. Uh, well, so... I did, because Bloody Tears, definitely Castlevania 2, because I know it from the game. But okay. for some reason, they just didn't include it in this composition. But, I, I, you know, for whatever, you know, artistic license, maybe they did it differently. Yes. Um, okay, so I'm with you there. Um, I never played Castlevania 2 and it was one of those games that got a lot of flack for um, messing with a good formula. Uh, you know, the first Castlevania, albeit difficult, is you know widely regarded as one of the great all-time NES games, and they went a different route on this one, much the same as Super Mario and Zelda did as well with their second releases. It's interesting to me that um, they they decided to really kind of change it up with a bunch of different uh, game series back then, because, you know, it's, it's easy to say now, like what a classic formula is for a game series. But at the time when there's only one game to choose from, who's to say what a Castlevania game is supposed to be, or what a Zelda game is supposed to be. And uh, it just seems that, you know, they, in all, the case of all three of those game series, when the third game came out, they went back to the, the well or, or the style that they went with in the first game. Um, but one thing that you cannot take away from Castlevania 2 is that its soundtrack is awesome. And so and the the Castlevania all pretty much every Castlevania game I've ever played or ever heard a song from has such great music. Um Symphony of the Night might be the 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 peak 
of not just Castlevania music, but just game soundtracks. I agree. Um, I agree completely. That's, I think, something that we'll have to just discuss one day. A standalone episode on that soundtrack. In fact, it was recommended. I know know that that has come through. I think it was Keith, one of our Patreon members, had had recommended that one. And with good reason. It it, It deserves the discussion in its own right because it's that good. Yes, agreed 100%. And that that'll that'll happen um at some point, but uh yeah, I, I really like this a lot. I, again, these old NES games, I I just I don't know that I have the patience to, you know, get good as the kids say nowadays. Um so I might be more <laughs> inclined to just watch somebody else who's actually good play them and I can enjoy the music without having to die a million times and and have my blood boil because I'm just getting too old for that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, stick me with my easy RPGs, uh, turn-based RPGs any day. Anything that involves, like, actual, like, timing and skill. Um, Shit, don't get me started on Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Like, I I don't think I had the, I don't think I had the reflexes to play that game in my prime, never mind at 41 years old. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm curious, like, what was your thoughts about Castlevania 2 as a game? Did you find that it was, um, that you didn't like the departure from the first game, or did you not know the first game and only knew the second game? So, uh, what's your kind of history with the series? So I had this one, but I never had the first one. So I didn't know anything else. To me, this was Castlevania. And it was only going back in time and, and playing the others that I saw that this was, in fact, an outlier. Um, but I don't. I didn't hate it. It was just different, you know. Even in, in in retrospect, but it didn't matter because the songs were so good that it, you know, I I've watched walkthroughs of other people much better than I, uh, and it was really truly satisfying to see this game to its conclusion. Although if you gave me a hundred years, I don't think I would have figured any of that stuff out without you know help. So anyway, interesting stuff. Uh, one of these days we will do Castlevania um, Symphony of the Night just because it's so different. Um, but we get to a run of Super Nintendo games here. Um, a racing game and two RPGs, the first of which is F-Zero, Mute Blue, Silence Field. Uh, a game that I have played, but I need to go back to it because it's been a long, long time, but an absolute classic. And what was kind of interesting to me about this is that more than any other track, it had a power metal feel to it. And I think that that's probably why you're going to like it as much as you do. But the way that these arrangements were made, it was really great drumming, great solos. And it was just, I don't know, it just had a power metal, (coughs) excuse me, feel to it. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me you don't love this. Oh, yeah. Um, This was one of the very, this was uh, a launch game for the Super NES, along with Super Mario World, which came packed in with the system, and Pilot Wings. And, and F-Zero and Pilot Wings were looked at as almost tech demos for the console uh, to, to show off the Mode 7, as it was called, which was kind of like a rotating graphical um, technique that um, I don't believe the Genesis was capable of doing, at least not at that point in time. Um, but... Um, F-Zero turned out to be like a really super fun, blazing, fast racing game. Probably the only real um, complaint about it is that it was only for one, it was only a one player game, which was rectified several weeks ago when they made a, a battle Royal game 
for the Switch called F Zero ninety nine, where you race an F Zero against ninety eight other wow. live players, and it is absolutely chaotic and it's a lot of fun. I um, didn't even know that was a thing. That's hysterical. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, in those sixteen bit graphics, but like widescreen, looks su- super cool. Uh, I I highly recommend if you have a chance to watch somebody play it or or play it yourself. It, it's a blast, but. Um, one of the interesting things about the F-Zero series is that, yes, they're, the songs are always very guitar-driven. And, and as a matter of fact, when the sequel came out for the Nintendo 64 F-Zero X, which I believe came out in 1998 or 1999, um, in Japan, they released a a guitar, ver- like, a, like a real guitar version of that soundtrack um, that wasn't synthesized. That was because... If you haven't heard it, you have to listen to this. Yeah, I have it. It's fantastic. I mean, it is. Yeah. It's awesome. There's only two songs from the original F-Zero that are reused in F-Zero X, Big Blue and Mute Mute City, which are the first two tracks um, or the first two songs used in this medley. But um, yeah, so this this opens up with the the, uh, title theme, then... uh, it goes into Mute City, Big Blue, which is one of the all-time great um, video game songs, and just um, begging for a real guitar, electric guitar solo, and, and it's it's done so well here. Um, that goes into uh, Silence, which um, is is one of the more like mellower tunes, but yet really cool. And then going into the final song, Firefield, which is like anxiety uh and if you ever played the stage it's the last stage in the game it's very it's very difficult and very um angsty so the music i think really fits well and there's just a really blazing uh guitar and flute uh together solo um this is really cool um this would be my uh runner up for song of the week without a doubt if if any of the metalheads who are um wondering why the hell we're spending this time talking about video games give this track a listen and uh maybe you'll you'll get you know the the crossover appeal here nice well well said and then that brings us to um one of your favorite games of all time chrono trigger a time of frogs and fiends um i know you love this game i'll let you do the honors before i chime in with my thoughts yeah so this game was like considered the um the like holy grail of RPGs. Uh, it came out in 1995 for the Super NES, and it was what they called the the people who put this game together were called the Dream Team because there were people from the Final Fantasy series and people from the Dragon Quest series, um, all coming together to make this game. Um, the um, all the artwork was done by um, uh, blanking on his name from. Um, Dragon Ball Z fame, and uh, he did all of the artwork for Dragon Quest. Uh, Akira um, Toriyama, Akira okay. Toriyama, uh, he did all the artwork. Um, the game was comp- the music was composed by both uh, Nobuo Uematsu, who we'll be talking about in the next song, uh, but mostly done by. Um, uh, Yasunori Mitsuda. Um, I'm pretty sure he does pretty much everything that's in this medley here. Um, I believe uh, Uematsu was brought 
in to finish the soundtrack because um, Mitsuda had fallen ill at some point. Um, oh, yeah, he contracted stomach ulcers. Oof. And so they brought in Uematsu to come in and finish things like off. Like Mariano Rivera coming in to close the game. Yeah, for real. Um, they, they actually do – this soundtrack is enormous. I believe it was um, three or four discs – the the Japanese soundtrack, the Japanese were big on releasing video game soundtracks. Even in the NES days, you could buy a cassette or a CD of video game soundtracks. It was a much bigger thing. Um, do you remember going to um, one of the game stores and and Nick buying the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack, but having to buy the the Japanese import because that was the only way that you can get it. Nowadays, thankfully, you you can go on to Spotify or iTunes and, and get it from there. But back then you had to import much like a lot of our metal releases back in the nineties, you had to import these, uh, and they were expensive because they were like these four disc box sets, um, that you'd have to import. But, um, this was, this was like the epitome. It was towards the end of the super NES's run, but it's just the epitome of the arguably the best RPG console, um, of all time. Maybe the PS one might be in, uh, contention as well, but um, it was uh, <clears throat> it was designed by Hironobu, uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi, who was like the guy behind the first eight, eight or nine Final Fantasy games. Um, but yeah, this soundtrack is one of the all time greats. Um, Every song on the soundtrack is so different, and I think that that's what makes this particular composition shine. Um, Frog's theme, for example. I mean, what sounds like that? And then you have like the different battle themes and just every area of this game had such a different feel to it because of the music. And I love how it just seamlessly goes into these different songs. Um, this was nearly my song of the week. If I had to pick a runner up, this would have been it. Uh, every instrument gets a chance to shine. So all five of these band members really get a chance to kind of show their wares here and they do a great job. Um, if you've never played the game, stop listening to the podcast and go play the game. It's that good. Um, but then again, I think I would make that same argument about Final Fantasy II, which is the next game, or Final Fantasy IV as we as we got it in the U.S. Uh, the song is called Lunar Battle Rush. I would argue it's maybe the best game in the series. I know that's sacrilege to say, but it's one of my favorites. If not, it's in the top three for sure. Um a really, I don't know that I would say it's as good of a song on this CD as it was with Chrono Trigger, but it's really cool how they do the battle themes and some of the boss themes. Um, it's just for some reason, I don't think it flows quite as nicely, although each individual piece of this song is great in and of itself. Very well said. Um, I played these, I would say the big three SNES RPGs were Final Fantasy Four, known as two in the U.S., th- uh, six, known as three in the U.S., and Chrono Trigger. I played those games in that exact reverse order. I started with uh. Chrono Trigger, then played Final Fantasy VI, then played Final Fantasy IV. Um, I was always uh, more of a Final Fantasy VI guy, um, but I'll say this. While I think the soundtrack to six is better than the soundtrack to four, it's bigger, um, I, I think it's the best... It's arguably the best video game soundtrack of all time, in my opinion. Um, the battle music in 4, for whatever reason, is so much better than in 6, and I don't know why. Um, but the, 
the a lot of the themes are uh, the battle themes are in this medley, which makes this medley super awesome. Um, and that includes the final boss theme, which is incredible. The battle with uh, Zeromus, I believe, was the name of the the final boss. But I think um, other than the intro, which is the um, the Red Wings theme, not to be confused with um, the Detroit Red Wings. <laughs> um, shout out to Steve Eiserman. Um, <laughs> I think the rest. Of, I think the rest of the song, the rest of the medley, is all battle themes, and and it's really yep. pretty cool. Um, you must have gotten a kick out of this one. Oh no, I I definitely did. Again, I didn't like the actual composition. I just liked each piece of this song. I thought that the parts were greater than the sum together, if that makes sense, or however the hell that expression goes. But I have to fall on the sword here because the song ends and then there's this bonus section and I'm racking my brain as to what this bonus track is and I know it and I just can't say it. So I'm going to let you do the honors and reveal what this bonus track is at the end of this song. Do you know it as in like you have heard it from somewhere? I've heard it. I know know it. I just don't – I can't tell you what it is. Okay, this is a band – putting a meme on an album um that oh, so, okay so there is there is a hidden track which at this time bands weren't really doing anymore as we've talked about especially in our in our discussions about 90s you know rock bands alternative rock bands um the track just goes silent for a while and then all of a sudden this track comes in and man <laughs> i didn't realize this either and I don't remember how I f- figured it out, but there is a legend known as the Cheetah Men, um, and the Cheetah Men <laughs> were was a game that was on this god awful um, bootleg NES cart known as uh, Action Fifty Two. It was a multi game cartridge that supposedly had fifty two different games on it, and they were all trash. And one of them was the Cheetah Men, which was probably a takeoff on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was around the time where everyone was trying to make their own anthro anthropomorphic <laughs> human human style animal ninja whatever. You had biker mice from Mars and battle toads and whatever. And this was, I guess, their attempt at it. The game is itself is notorious for being like unplayably bad. Like it's just wow. the, the, hit, the hit detection, all of it. It's like absolute trash. The joke is why is it that the music, the song is such a banger? It's a great song like, on this garbage ass throwaway game. It's so weird. And I have to be, I have to find the, um, I think it was on YouTube, the comment. Um, I have to read some of the comments on YouTube for the original Cheetah Men theme song from Action 52, which the, which the descendants of Erdrich so brilliantly throw, threw in as a meme at the end of their album here. Um, <laughs> here we go. Uh, here's some comments. Uh, Makey Jakey says, shit goes hard as fuck. <laughs> Great Potterland says the contrast between music and gameplay has never been this big. Um, Shivari says, I feel so sad. Whoever composed this cool song and it ended up in a horrible mess of a game. Oh, that's great. Uh, 
Okay, and uh, one more. Um, Fletcher Reads Randomness says, you know how people often say the only good thing about so-and-so, they're usually exaggerating? In this case, this literally is the only good thing about this game. Oh, that's um, awesome. <laughs> the, the, I, if you just want to have a laugh, go and just read the comment section on YouTube. Usually comment sections are such like, you, you just the worst of the worst. Um, this is absolutely brilliant. Uh, Pickle Jello says the composer is the most overqualified person to ever live for his job. Wow, and, that's awesome. And one more, and I'll read one more. Waluigi cult member two five three nine says you got five dollars to build your Cheetah Men game. One hundred dollars, good gameplay. Two hundred dollars, good controls. Five dollars, good music. One hundred and fifty dollars, an editor. So you can see where the uh, <laughs> five dollars came from um, oh that's so funny it, it's so weird and so at least there's some legacy here uh for this game be, besides it being terrible there's a cool a really cool song that people uh seem to enjoy so um I, i'm glad that uh, you were you mentioned it because um i'm sure a lot of people probably didn't even realize that it's part of the 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 rest of the song this is not an 11 and a half minute final fantasy medley although that would have been nice <laughs> Um, where, what are you giving this a scale of one to 10? I know it's kind of off the beaten path vis-a-vis what we usually talk about, but what are you scoring this and why is it a uh, 12? <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it a 64 for, uh, the, to, in honor of the Nintendo 64. Um, you know, it's a good question because it's so, it's so unbelievably different from anything we've really ever discussed. It almost feels weird to rank it um, in the same fashion that we would um, normally, but uh, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, I, I'm going to give this a, a shit. It's hard. Um, <laughs> why don't you go first and I'll, and I'll try to formulate it. I, I, Cause it's weird. I don't listen to this kind of stuff and think about it in, 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 for, in the, in the terms of like ranking it. it it's, because I enjoy the crap out of listening to this, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like giving it the same score I gave Avantasia's Metal Opera Part 1 would, would almost be sacrilegious, so I don't think giving it a 10 is a really uh, <coughs> something I can do as much as I kind of want to. Um, wh- I'll say what this. about you? I am ranking this not only based on enjoyment, but based on the fact that, you know, they're really, in in a sense, there's covers, right? So, like, I know what the original soundtrack and, I you know, the soundtracks sound like for the most part. And then this was their interpretation of kind of blending all this together. So it's really hard to rate this. But I'm going to give it a 7. I enjoy it. It's an easy listen. I think that some of the tracks are a little bit jarring because either the flute was too prominent in certain spots or they just left out things that I would have liked or in other spots, perhaps they just, um, it didn't flow as seamlessly as I'd like. But by and large, every track is enjoyable, is enjoyable, right? So I'm going to give it a seven. Um, I do like their stuff and I certainly quite frankly, I want to go back and listen to their other albums because it's been too long. Um, but I, I have a hard time putting it into that eight plus rarefied air area. So I don't know if that helps or if that just solidifies your 64 score, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I, I'm just going to give it an 8.5. I mean, it's, it's just something that I really, really enjoy listening to. And honestly, outside of Vomitron, who I mentioned earlier, um, they're my favorite 
uh, video game cover band. Um, I, I would definitely put a shout out to Vomitron as well. Um, no NES for the wicked, uh, necessary evil and righteous NES, uh, are the three albums and, um, all NES games and just really, really well done. Um, the, the production for what I assume is just one guy is so crisp. Um, really cool stuff. Um, maybe we'll post one of the tracks from, from Vomitron during the, the week. Terrible name for a band, by the way, but, um, awesome, awesome music. I, I hope that there is a fourth album, uh, in the future because, um, I want to hear his take on probably three of my favorite, um, NES soundtracks, Maniac Mansion, Little Nemo, and Mega Man 3, which he hasn't, uh, gotten to as of yet. Um, but yeah, man, do I love video game music. And there's some, there's like so much stuff we didn't even talk about. Um, so many great soundtracks out there. Um, and we just kept it, you know, Descendants of Erdrich just keep it in the 8 and 16-bit era. And there's just so much. Video game music's only gotten, I think, more... Um, I mean, nowadays, soundtracks are performed by actual musicians. It's not a lot. There's not a ton of synthesized music anymore, uh, which is really cool, I think. Um, I even think, you know, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which we, we you know, had mentioned earlier that we'll talk about in, in long form in the future, um, was one of the earlier soundtracks because it was a disc-based game that to actually have um, real musicians playing instead of synthesized uh, music. There's some really killer guitar riffs and, and solos on that soundtrack. So, yeah, this was really fun. I'm so glad we got to talk about this. I apologize if I was a little bit, um, you know, babbly. But, no, uh, your passion shines through. This shit um, is my bread and butter, man. <laughs> I, I should have just let you go and listen. I would have been entertained. But uh, going to scrap the news this week because we went long. We were about an hour and a half already, so which is awesome. But we're going to scrap the news this week. I want you to reveal what we're doing next week because October rolls on and we get a little wilder and crazier here, but we have some special guests joining us next week. Yeah, I, it's, I, I can't think of a, even more out of this, uh, out of the realm of what we do, um, going from descendants, descendants of Erdrich back to a band that we discussed, uh, previously. And the, this episode that we had done is the reason that we now are friends with the guys that are going to join us next week. So it all kind of comes full circle. And, and what I'm talking about is the, the band, the monkeys. Um, when we covered their album, uh, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn and Jones limited. Um, thank, thank you. They, they were, uh, ahead of fallout boy when it came to, um, wordy titles. Um, huh. It was, uh, it was the fact that Carrie of the MSR cast is such a big Monkeys fan. So, you know, his partner, Sean, was like, Hey, do you know that there's a bunch, there's a couple of guys that do a metal podcast that happen to do an episode on the Monkeys? And that got his attention. And, uh, they reached out to us. And it was funny because Sean loved that I was such a big fan of Power Quest. And Carrie loved that I was such a big fan of the monkeys and they really enjoyed our podcast and we really enjoyed their podcast and they came to join us uh, to talk about Merciful Fate, which, um, shit, was that last year, earlier this year? I can't even remember when that, that was. Um, but anyway, um, how this all came about was that, um, for a while, uh, myself and Carrie were battling each other in a, uh, a game called 
Hurdle. And if you've played Wordle, as pretty much everyone has, you know, you have to guess a five-letter word, and you have five chances to guess it. Well, um, somebody came up with the idea of Hurdle, where you have, like, two seconds to hear the beginning of a song, and you have to guess what it is. And if you can't guess it on the first try, they give you a few more seconds. And then if you can't guess it after five segments of the song, well, then you don't, then you don't get it. And somebody had created a monkey's hurdle and every day there would be a new song and me and Carrie would, uh, trade our scores and he would usually smash me. Um, (laughs) but, um, you know, he's, he is like the, the monkey's master. Like I am a big fan, but he knows every song. And one of the things that came up was, that I just was not familiar with their 1996 album Justice. Uh, it's spelled J-U-S-T-U-S, um, and it's pronounced Justice, but the the wording is that it's just us, meaning that it's just the four monkeys. There's no outside musicians. Um, they all wrote all the songs, which, if you know anything about the monkeys, you'd know that none of that is common for them. And sure. we went, you know, we talked about a lot of it in that previous episode. Uh, so feel free to dive back into the archives and check that out. Shit, I might have to do that because I don't even remember what we said. That was a, wa- a while ago. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, so the 1996 album, it was the first album with all four members of the band together again since 1968 or 1969, I believe. And I just was never really familiar with it. There's a um, a song that was re-recorded from back in the 60s. That song I knew, uh, a couple other songs, but for the most part, I just was not familiar with this album. And Carrie was like, it's a really good album. You should listen to it. And he, he came up with the idea, well, maybe we should do a podcast and drag Justin and Sean in on this. Um, and so that's exactly what we're going to do. So uh, next week, uh, we're joined by our friends from the MSR cast, uh, Carrie and Sean, to talk about the Monkees' 1996 album, justice so yes just when you thought um the metal exchange was getting weird in october it gets even weirder yeah i can't top any of that um this is going to be interesting to say the least we've done classic monkeys and then we now get to do some forgotten monkeys from uh 1996 so it'll be interesting to say the least um but thanks everyone for listening like i said we appreciate the support We hope you like this little pivot, and we hope you like next week's pivot as well. And then, Lord only knows what I'm going to choose the following week. So, time will time will certainly tell. We're going to watch the pivot episode of Friends. There you Uh, go. I like it. It's just going to be a pivot month. Uh, Enjoy, my friend. This has been a blast. Uh, I I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I think I I think I can speak for all of us when I say that uh, your passion shines through. So passionate. I will uh, talk to you soon, my friend. Take care. Je ne sais quoi.